Good evening. Um, this week's class was sponsored by Rabbi Yochanan and Mrs. Shoshana Mansuri. And this is in honor of Rabbi Mansuri's father's yard site. It is going to be on the second day of Adar Sheni, which I think is this upcoming Shabbos. His name is Yosef ben Rabbi. May his neshama have a very, very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may he channel lots of brachas uh, down to you and to your family for everything, both in the material and in the spiritual. Much, much big, big, big uh, blessings in everything. Thank you so much for that dedication. Another dedication um, this week was by Anonymous. And this is L'schust neshama of bracha le'yachava bas Shmuel. May her neshama have a great, great, great aliyah and much, much bracha to Anonymous and your family for everything, both in the material and in the spiritual. Only bracha, mazel, panasa barchav, and only nachas from the children and only good. Thank you so much. Uh, another sheer sponsor this week was by uh, my dear friend Yecheskel Tzvi Lopez. Um, and this is just for the mitzvah. May Hashem bless you with abundance, mazel, and bracha, and only, only, only good, 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 good health, and uh, a lot of a lot of light and a lot of goodness, and the only revealed good. Thank you so much. Um, the CD sponsor this week was by Reb Shloyme Goldner, and this is in honor of an uncle uh, whose uh, yard site is also in uh, Adarsheni. Um, I think maybe the second of Adarsheni, I'm not sure. But uh, his name is Moshe ben Reb Asher Yeshaya Halevi. May this uh, be a great aliyah for his neshama to the greatest of heights. Didn't have any children. So this should be a big, big schos for his neshama. May he channel lots of bracha to the entire Goldner family for only good, good, good things. And they're only the revealed good. Um, last but not least, another dedication on the CD this week was by... Rabbi and Mrs. Sender and Gitti Munitz. And this is in honor of Mrs. Munitz's um, father's, I mean, Mrs. Munitz's mother's yard site that was or is on the Chavches Adar, on Chavches Adar Rishay. May her neshama, her name is Leah Bas Rabbi Yaakov, May her neshama have a gavaldig aliyah, a very great aliyah, to the greatest of heights. May she channel only, only, only big, big bracha for the entire Munitz family, for only good and nachas from the children and the grandchildren and good health, and only, only simchas and good things. Uh, thanks to all those that have dedicated. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, this week is Parshas Pekudei. So in Parshas Pekudei, 
we conclude the second book of the Torah, Mazel Tov. We conclude Sefer Shemois, and that's exciting. And in addition to this being the conclusion of Sefer Shemois, Parshas Shabbos Chazak, uh, it is also the, um, it, by reading Parshas Bakude, we conclude a massive project that we've been preoccupied with for the duration of five weeks. Now usually to have one subject in the Torah being discussed for five weeks is very rare. And that is the monumental task of making a home for Hashem. That work is so precious, it is so great, it is so wonderful, that um, the Torah spends, that the Torah goes ahead and spends um, five entire parshios discussing this great achievement or this great task of building a home for Hashem. Now, the first pasuk in Parshas Pekudei begins by enumerating and listing individually all the donations that were given to the Mishkan, at least in regards to the gold, silver, and copper, how much came in, and to what it was put to use. So the words are, Eila Pekudei Mishkan. these are the accountings of the Mishkan, and it goes to tell us of all the various parts of the Mishkan, and later in the parashas, it continues not just how much money came in to what it was used, but also all the details of all the kalim and all the vessels. Because in this parasha, everything is finally put together. So as we go through the parasha, we actually take a tour of the entire Mishkan and all the pieces and all the parts and all the nuts and all the bolts. And it all comes together in parashas Pekudeh. So that's what the word Pekudeh actually means analyzing the particulars, taking account of every little detail of the Mishkan. So the Sephardim says that because we see that the Torah gives so much attention to the detail of the Mishkan, not just to the entire project, but to every little particular detail of the Mishkan, we would say every socket, every beam, every bar, every single thing is kind of given its own uh, attention, so this is an indication of how important the Mishkan is and how significant the Mishkan is. And we cannot say that the Mishkan is dismiss it as only a temporary dwelling, which we know that the Mishkan was temporary until we managed to get a more stable home. The Mishkan is a mobile home, a place that moved around. So it wasn't a permanent residence. But we cannot say that it's temporary. We have to say that it's permanent. In what sense is the Mishkan permanent? It's permanent in the sense, so the first of Arnus is really interesting, he says that the Mishkan is permanent in the sense that it's nifsedu. the words of the Sephardim. The Mishkan was never, never was, never became, uh, was ruined, never, never disintegrated. And he brings a Gemara Mesechtas Yuma, where the Gemara says, Shema Toimar, maybe you're going to say, since the Mishkan was, was uh, discontinued, Shema Toimar, maybe you're going to say, Ovat Sivram, that their hope is lost. Ubatal Sekuyon, and what they promised, their promise that the Mishkan promises us is nullified, it is stopped. Talmud, Talmud Lomar, that's why it says, Atse Shitim Oimdim, that the Mishkan stands, Sha'oimdim La'ad Ulaomayalamim, that the Mishkan stands eternally, it stands forever. Uh, meaning to say that the Mishkan did not decay. That's how the Marsha explains it. That the Mishkan did not decay. The Mishkan is everlasting forever. And meaning that even the parts of the Mishkan 
that should have decayed. There is, uh, the Mishkan is made out of wood. Now wood, when you leave it a long time, especially over, in our case, three and a half millennium, that's a very, very long time. For wood, all wood, wood would rot. Yet the Mishkan is absolutely intact. It did not get diminished. It did not get uh, rot. It didn't rot in any way whatsoever. Where is the Mishkan? The Mishkan, as the Gemara says in Masechtis, uh, in Masechtis Megillah, the Gemara says that the Mishkan, we'll quote that Gemara soon, is all hidden, it's stashed away, it's put away, it was concealed, but the entire Mishkan is intact. And that's the idea that the Mishkan is eternal. And another aspect to it, No part of the Mishkan fell into the hands of the enemies. We, the Jewish people, are very good in building. In building, We are a nation of builders. We've built and we built and we built, and wherever we go, we build up the place in a beautiful manner, including we've built so many different sanctuaries for Hashem, whether it is individual study halls, whether they are shuls, whether they are yeshivas, whatever it is we build. And we've built also some pretty magnificent, impressive temples. Yet as much as we work on building, um, we have um, those that are dead-bent in destroying that which we built. So we put them up and they take them down. And so has been the story of Jewish history. So much of that we have built up, so many of the structures were burnt to the ground in the various different, uh, different onslaughts by the enemies of the Jewish people. And yet, however, there is one exception. The Mishkan was not destroyed by anybody. The Mishkan lasts forever. And that's what he says over here. Nothing fell in the hands of the enemies. And that is the opposite of what happened to the Beis HaMikdash. In the Beis HaMikdash, the, the, both Beis HaMikdashes were destroyed, but not the Mishkan. The Mishkan wasn't destroyed. And he goes on to explain, and saying that the durability, the stability, the permanence of the Mishkan is connected to the fact uh, that the Mishkan possessed four qualities which assured its endurance. And one of these four qualities, they're all mentioned in the first Pasuk of Pekudeh, where it says, Ela Pekudeh Mishkan, which is telling us the greatness of the Mishkan. It says four things about the Mishkan. Number one, it was Mishkan Ha'edos. It's the Mishkan that was, which was housing the tablets, the testimony, testimony of the tablets. Since it had the tablets, so the tablets gave the Mishkan its permanence due to the greatness of the tablets. The second reason why the Mishkan stands forever is Nitzchi, it's forever, is because it's Asher Pukat Alpi Moshe, because it was under the auspices of Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who initiated this, he was the overseer, he was the the uh, one in charge over the, the, the building of the Mishkan. And since he it was his project, we can say the project, Mishkan, Ramam calls the Mishkan, Mishkan, Sha'asa, Moshe. The Moshe Rabbeinu, even though Moshe didn't literally make it, but Moshe Rabbeinu was the one in charge of the building of the Mishkan. And since Moshe is involved, Moshe is eternal. And everything that Moshe Rabbeinu touches is forever. Third reason why the Mishkan stands forever is avodas halavim because it was the avoda, it was the service of the levim. The management of the mishkan 
were the Levites. They were in charge of putting it up and taking it down and all the other and guarding it and the like. Since it was under the management of the Levites, and the Levites are such a noble tribe, the highest tribe from amongst the Jewish people, that is the third reason why the Mishkan has permanence. And finally, he says, at the beginning of the next Pasuk, that the constructors of the Mishkan, who were the ones who actually built it, it was Bitzalel ben Uri ben Chur Lamate Yehuda, that it was Bitzalel from the tribe of Yehuda, together with Aliyah ben Achisamach, two enormous tzaddikim, and very, very, very high-level righteous people that were building the Mishkan. And since this is the Maisei Yadav of tzaddikim, Maisei Yadayim, this is the work of the great tzaddikim, and that's why this Mishkan is eternal. Which is not the case, in contrast, which he points out to the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash, even the first Beis HaMikdash, even though it was also had some of those qualities, but it didn't possess all the qualities, primarily it was lacking in the fourth thing. It was not built only by tzaddikim. It was built, it wasn't only built by extraordinary people. Shlomo Melech, who had the first base of Mikdash built, had workers that were from Tzur. And these workers were involved in the construction of the Mishka. Since it was built by rather average people and not these great tzaddikim, it was for that reason that the base of Mikdash was destroyed. The second base of Mikdash, he points out, was lacking in all these four qualities because it didn't have the luchos at all because we know that in the second temple there was no Aaron, there was no ark. In the Holy of Holies was only that the stone, the Evan Ashasiah, the foundation stone, but the ark wasn't there. The ark was hidden in a deep cavern somewhere in the Temple Mount and it's still there, um, hidden in a tunnel. Shlomo HaMelech cre- cre- um, had uh, hollowed out a, a special chamber where the Aram would be hidden with secret tunnels and passageways to put it there. And 30 years before the destruction of the first Beis Amigdash, there was a Jewish king, his name was Ye, uh, Yeshayahu, and he was the one who had, and he saw and he heard from the prophet that the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, so he was instructed to take the Aram away from its place and put it into its hidden chamber. And when they came back to the land of Israel with Ezra, and reconstructed the temple, they never brought back that Aaron. So you see from there, by the way, that there was divine, because why not? Either they didn't know where it was, but it seems more like that they were not instructed to do so, so they didn't touch it. And so the, the second base image did not have the edus, so therefore it was lacking that, that merit or that power to make it durable and let, make it eternal, make it last forever. Another thing, it was not under the appointment, under the auspices, or the project was not initiated by Moshe. Quite on the contrary, it was initiated by a Persian king. It was commanded, so to speak, by Kairesh, which of course is Lahavdal, uh, an infinite difference. And also the Levites weren't there. Because it says when Ezra came up, the Sepharna points out, it says in the Pasuk, that the Levites were nowhere to be found. And he actually punished the Levium later for not coming up to help in the construction of the Mishkan, of the Beis Amikdash. So the Levium were absent. And reason number four, as we said earlier, it was not constructed by Tzadikim, by the righteous people. And that is why it did not have this permanence and this lasting like the Mishkan had. Now this idea that the Sephornu tells us, this fascinating idea, that the Mishkan is eternal, and he points to these particular reasons, as we mentioned before, could be found at source, where does the foreigners taking this? Um, the idea is already mentioned in the Gemara, at least in regards to one of the causes for the 
permanent of the Mishkan. The Gemara says in Masechtis Megillah, on the Pasuk, it says, famous song, we sing it on Shabbos morning, Psalm and Tehillim, I think it's uh, Psalm 32 or 33, Let the tzaddikim, the righteous ones, sing to God or rejoice with Hashem. And then it says, no, I'm sorry, it's not a Gemara Masechtis Megillah. It's a Gemara Masechtis Saita. Masechtis Saita of Tess. And the Gemara, the Talmud of Masechtis Saita says like this, Bar Papa, Let the tzaddikim sing and rejoice with Hashem. Layasharim and the upright ones, Nava Sehila, for them it is correct, it is right. Sehila praise, it is beautiful a praise. So he says, Al Tikri, don't read it, Nava Sehila, it is beautiful a praise. Ela Nave Tehila. Nave means their home, a a a a home full of praise. What does that mean? That's the home that Moshe Rabbeinu built. His home is praiseworthy. The home that King David built is also praiseworthy. In what sense? That their enemies did not have dominion, did not have any power over their activities, over their actions, over their deeds, that which they created. In what sense is David's creations permanent. We said before the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed and David was the one who initiated the Beis HaMikdash. Well, David HaMelech didn't build this, the second, the first Beis HaMikdash. The, 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 the first temple was built by Solomon, by Shlomo HaMelech, David HaMelech's son. David HaMelech, however, made the doors. And it, and it says that when, the, when, the, uh, when they came to, the, to burn down the Beis HaMikdash, they burnt down the Beis HaMikdash, but not the doors. The doors tavu ba'aret sha'arel. The doors, the doors of the of the um, of the Beis Hamikdash were sunk in the ground. So you see, from here, the, the Gemara is saying that the enemies did not have any power over King David, over David Amelech's handiwork, because David Amelech is nitzchias, and it, meaning eternal. And in addition, and how about Moshe? What's with Moshe? To Amar, because the Master said. When the first temple was built, what did they do with the Mishkan, with all the, with the entire Mishkan, with the entire tabernacle that Moshe had built? What happened at that time was Nignas Oel Moed. The Oel Moed was hidden, crush of its beams, crush of its hooks, Uberichav and its bars, Vamudav and its pillars, Vadonav and its sakis. And it was all, and the Gemara says, Hecha, we're Amrav Chista, Amravima, Tachas Mechila Shal Hecha under the tunnels of the Hechel. So the Temple Mount in Yerushalayim has much more than we think it has. It has a hole, it has the Aron and the Ark, and it has the entire Mishkan of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's all there. This is what the Sephornu tells us. Now at first glance, it would seem to be saying that we're talking about that only the, the quality is of eternity is only in the Mishkan, but we don't have that quality in the Beis HaMikdash because the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. However, a deeper analysis, a more careful analysis, we will see that the eternity of, of, of the Mishkan is also in regards to the Beis HaMikdash as well. On the Pasuk, um, in the first Pasuk in Ela of, of Pekudei, um, even though, again, at, on the surface level, it's talking about the only about the Mishkan, because that's what we're doing now, that we're holding in the middle of the project of building this 
mobile home for God. However, Rashi tells us, and this is from the Medrash, both Medrash Tanchuma and the Medrash Rabbah, that in this Pasuk it is also alluding to Beremes. Beremes means homolytical. If we're, if we're, if we're willing to like expound on the words and look for little hints and clues that the Pasuk might be, the verse might be saying one thing, but it is alluding and hinting to something else, we will find there is a hint in these Pasuk for the two temples. What is the hint? It mentions the word Mishkan two times. Mishkan, Mishkan. Eila pekudeya Mishkan, Mishkan ha'edos. Two times the word Mishkan. And the sages tell us, the reason why it says two times the word Mishkan is to tell you, this is alluding to two other Mishkans. Mishkan means a dwelling place. Two other dwelling places for God, which are the two temples. But the Medrash continues. That the reason why the Torah is alluding to the Migdash, the sanctuary, by the word Mishkan, which means more the temporary dwelling, is because the word Mishkan is also, if you, if you read it a little differently, you can read the word also as Mashkin. And Mashkin means a security. When a person can't pay a debt, so the creditor, to assure the payment, has the right to take something, some collateral, something as security. And he holds on to it, whatever, till it will be given back. So the same is with the temple. We, the Jewish people, were indebted to God because of our lack of observance and the, also the sins that we've done. So because, as Rashi says, the sins of the Jewish people, so Hashem came and took as security, He took away the Beis HaMikdash. Mashkin, Mashkin. Two times security. The first temple was taken as security, the first Beis HaMikdash, and the second Beis HaMikdash was also taken away as a security from Hashem until we will behave. So this is an allusion, I mean, this is alluding to the two, the, two, uh, the temples. The question, however, here is, uh, it would seem to imply, just looking at it superficially, that the Pasuk is telling us not about the eternity of the temples, but quite on the contrary. It's talking about the destruction of the temple because it's calling it Mashkin to tell us that this is not going to last with us forever. It's going to be taken away from us. The problem with that is, I mean, this is the Pasuk that's trying to tell us about the eternity of the Mishkan, right? We said earlier from the Sephora, the whole idea the Pasuk is telling us is how great the Mishkan is, that it's a dwelling place of God, it's a home for God, and it's, since it's related to God, it's permanent and it's lasting. And, and, and it's alluding to the Beis HaMikdash, the temples. And, but what are we saying? It's telling us in that very, in that very same verse the lack of permanence of the temple, which doesn't seem to fit, that in the Pasuk that's trying to speak about permanence of something of a home for Hashem should at the same place talk about the lack of permanence, permanence and the temporary state of the Beis Unless we want to say that that itself is what the Pasuk wants to tell you, to see the contrast between the Mishkan, which is eternal, and the Beis Amidosh, which is destroyed, but it's difficult to say so. Another thing is that it's interesting, the Torah is using the term security. It doesn't say use a word which means destruction. It uses the word security. So if we follow through on that idea, what is security? Security is when you take an object and you don't destroy it. You're not taking it away. You're not even taking it away to keep it. Security means 
I am holding into it. I'm putting it into a safe. I'm putting it into a safe place. It's a safekeeping. I'm going to hold it just for safety, just in case you run out of town, you're going to disappear. I can keep it. But uh, as long as I still hope you're going to pay me, I'm holding on to it. And whenever it is that you're going to find the means to make the payment, I will give this back to you. That's the whole idea of security. If the two Bate Migdash are called Mashkin, it's clear from here that it's not this, that what it seems to be a destruction is not really a destruction. That even the temples were only taken away from us for a while. And one day they will be given back. So it's not only that we're going to get a third temple, we're going to get back the first base of Migdash, and we're going to get back the second base of Migdash, and the second temple. So that's the idea. But we need to understand, how does that work? I mean, the, the base of Migdash was destroyed. It was burned down. And it was burnt to, down to ashes. And then later, even more, it speaks about the devastation of the base of Migdash to the extreme. That it says, Tzion Sadeh Techaresh. That Tzion became plowed. It says that the sages saw plows going out of the place of the Kodesh HaKadashim. And it was so destroyed and they were crying Rabbi Kiva was laughing or they saw wolves going out it became totally destroyed it wasn't a remnant until whatever was built on it these days that might even be worse than it being destroyed which we're waiting for it to be to be removed in any case um, so what are we saying that the Beis HaMikdash is is um, lasting the Beis HaMikdash is permanent the Mishkan we understand because the Mishkan was hidden but the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed so one can possibly say, now by the way, this idea that the Beis Amigdash has an eternal existence, there's a very interesting Rabbeinu Bachaya, and this is not in this parasha, but in parasha's Teruma, on that pasuk, Atzei Shittim Omdim, which we mentioned before, where the Gemara says that the Beis Amigdash is lasting forever. He says an interesting idea, which gives, might give some explanation into what we mean when we say that the Beis Amigdash is eternal. He says, in um, by the way, it's just a very, very interesting idea. When it says omdim, he says that every element of the Beis Migdash down here below had a corresponding spiritual element in a higher world, in a higher Beis Migdash. Like we know the idea that the Beis Migdash our lower temple, our physical temple on earth, is aligned and exactly. Uh, synchronized with the spiritual base of English. But here he says in these words, There isn't a thing in the Mishkan and the Kalim that is not formed above in the spiritual world. Shanemar it says, I will show you the form of the Mishkan and the form of all the vessels means that Moshe perceived it in its spiritual godly form and then he just transmitted it down here into the physical earthy form and he materialized it. David says in regards to the base of Migdash, the same thing. King David got a parchment, he got a, a written document, his skill, from God it was given to me. The entire feature, the entire image of the Mishkan. That was in the spirit. The Indian Loimar and the idea is. That even though the Beis Amigdash, the Mishkan, and the Beis Amigdash 
is going to be destroyed. It's interesting. He mentions the base, the Mishkan also destroyed. Maybe he means not destroyed by the enemies, but disassembled, meaning un, discontinued. But in the base Amigdosh, it was destroyed. And its physical body, the holy vessels, the physical ones, are going to be lost in the Golas. One should not deduce from here that just like they were ended down here below, so they were stopped above, the spiritual was also destroyed. No, it's not the case. They stand forever. And even this, that they were to stop, discontinue down here, I see them lachser, they're going to return. Since spiritually it wasn't ruined, it's only the physical structure on earth that was ruined, but the spiritual counterpart above remained, so the time will come when it will re-manifest again in its body, in its, in its earthy incarnation. That's the idea. That's Rabbeinu Bechayim. So we see the idea that the Mishkan, the Beis Amigdash also has a similar nitzchias, a similar eternity, but, 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 but on a more spiritual level, not on a physical level. Now to understand this a little better, what we mean by that, because it would be possible to say that when we say that the Beis, that the Beis Amigdash is durable and the Beis Amigdash is eternal, it would be likely to say that the meaning of that is that the holiness that, is, that there is in the Temple Mount the holiness that there is in Yerushalayim and the holiness that there is on the, in the Beis Hamikdash, that is everlasting. That continues forever. But it's not. It's but it's not talking about the physical Beis Hamikdash. That the, the physical Beis Hamikdash is a continuation. It means that the Shechina that dwells there, the 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 the, the, the kedusha, the holiness, the divine, the divine presence is there forever, even if there is no structure. That would be possible to say. However, the reason we cannot say that is because what we're really doing over here is that we're deducing and we're saying, we're comparing. Just like the Mishka was, had a lasting, was permanent and lasting forever in a physical sense, and that's the meaning of pshat, ela pekudea mishkan, according to the Sephorno. That that's the meaning of this puzzle. That the Mishkan, because of the four above mentioned reasons, is going to last on forever. So we're saying that at least, even if it's not in Pshat, but in Remez, in Medrish, from the from the, if we look a little bit deeper, we look beyond the surface. We're willing to go a little bit on on on, a, on what's beyond what the naked eye can see. Ah, over there we're discovering that the Beis Hamikdash also has an eternity. Which means that the Beis Hamikdash is similar, and, and if it's similar, meaning it's secondary to the Mishkan in its eternity. In its eternity, if we would be talking, however, about the holiness of the space over there, it's the opposite. Over there, of course, the Mish, the Beis Hamikdash is eternal, and in that, the Beis Hamikdash is superior. The Temple is superior to the Tabernacle. The Beis Hamikdash is stronger than the Mishkan. Because the Beis Hamikdash is definitely its holiness is permanent. Beis Hamikdash is called a permanent home for God, as we see in the Rambam. Very, very, very important. See, I'm, I'm talking about this today particularly because we're so close to the third Beis Hamikdash, 
And it's important for us to appreciate because there's such tension on the Temple Mount. We should learn about, because we know the whole, everything has been going on since Rosh Hashanah in Israel is really all related to the Temple Mount. It's all related to the Harabais. It's so Mashiach, it's so Messianic. You can feel that, it, and it's not leaving go. Because now the so it's a very very vital and importance to understand what because some people are like yeah leave it alone let a temple mount whatever but when I'm realizing how this is the, 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 how 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 much how meaningful this is to us and how you know even though the base of English was destroyed nothing changed in the holiness of the place so therefore let's take a look at the Rambam the Rambam right in the beginning of the laws of the base of English Hilchus base of when the Rambam says it's a mitzvah, in the first halacha, Perik Rishon, halacha Aleph, the Rambam says it's a mitzvah, sasei lasois bias lashem, to build a, a house to God. And he says, ukvar nisparish mishkan It has already been explained in the Torah, the mishkan that Moshe Rabbeinu built, but hear these words, the mishkan was a temporary dwelling. It was only meant to be a temporary dwelling for God. Now, of course, he's not contradicting this that we said that the Mishkan is eternal, it's lasting forever. Yes, that's the actual, the actual materials are continuing on forever. But the Mishkan as the address where God lives, the Mishkan is no more the address. Hashem is not living in the Mishkan. Hashem moved out of his mobile home and he moved to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim. As the Rambam says in Allah Gimel, in Allah Bezi continues to say how the sequence of what happened next, there was another the Mishkan that was in the Midbar in the, during the 40 years that the Jews traveled in the desert later was kind of translated into a different form of a Mishkan, which is the Mishkan in Nov and Givon and the Mishkan in Shiloh, which stood for like 369 years, and um, which was a Mishkan. It was like a in-between home and tent. It was kind of a blend. And by the way, it had many of the pieces of Moshe Rabbeinu's Mishkan was actually implanted in it. It had still the, the curtains on the top, the tapestries, the ureos. It was different than the Mishkan because it didn't have beam walls. It had, wood, it had stone walls. But it also had these, the roof was not a, a, a plastered wolf with stone or plaster, but the roof was made out of, was made out of still the Moshe Rabbeinu's ureos. And then, and also the kalim, all the vessels, the utensils were the same kalim that were used by Moshe Rabbeinu in the Midbar. The Rambam says in Allah Gimel, but once the Holy Temple was built in Yerushalayim, all places in the world became prohibited to build a house for God. And we're not allowed to offer any sacrifices anywhere. Hear these words, And there isn't a house for future generations, that there, there cannot be another residence for God, only in Yerushalayim, and on the Temple Mount. Because it says in this Pasuk, This is the house of God. And this is it, and no other place. And it says another pasuk in Tehillim, Zeis menuchasi adei ad. This is my eternal resting place. Is this 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 place? So we see from here that this building, the building of the Beis Hamikdash, this is, and not only that, not only is this the whenever God wants to rest, He will only rest in the Beis Hamikdash. We can say, no, the holiness was there. 
Then it was destroyed, so God pulled away. Then whenever it's going to be time again, Hashem is not going to go anywhere else, and He's only going to go there. But that doesn't mean that it's permanently, Hashem is permanently residing there. It means that if He's going to reside anywhere, He chose His home, and that's where He's going to live. So we're going to look a little further, a couple of chapters further in Hilchus Beis Abchiram. And we see that that's not the case. It says, the Rambam says over here, Obamen Eskacha, in Halacha Yudalit, in, 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 in his 14th Halacha uh, in Perek Vav, in the laws of the Beis Amigdash, in the middle of it, he says, Bamen Eskacha, what, what made it holy? Dusha Rishayna, how is the Beis Amigdash holy? Shekitsha Shloyma, Shloma Melech made it holy. Shuhu Kitsha HaAzar of Yerushalayim, he sanctified the courtyard and Jerusalem, Lesha'ata, for its present time, and he also made it holy for all eternity. And its holiness never departed. That's why the Rambam says, here the continuation, we can offer today's days all the sacrifices. Even if there's no house, technically, we would be allowed to go up to the Temple Mount can only get rid of whatever is on there, that building that's there. And we're allowed to, over there, offer karbonos, even if we don't have a base HaMikdash. We can eat the, the holies. In the entire courtyard. Even if it's destroyed. It's not surrounded by the uh, partitions that need to surround it. And then we can eat in the entire Yerushalayim. We're allowed to eat the special second tithing, Meiser Sheni. And the Rambam says, Shekedusha Rishayna, because the first initial Kedusha never left. It was made holy forever. The Rambam asked, why is it so? Why is this Kedusha lasting? He says, Because the holiness of the Beis Hamikdash and the holiness of Jerusalem, Mepnei Hashchina, it's because of the divine presence, because God is dwelling there. And the Shechina cannot be nullified. The Shechina is eternal. Good. That is the Rambam. So what do we see from here? That when we're talking about eternity, now the Mishkan did not, was not the eternal, there's no holiness in the place of the Mishkan. The Mishkan was erected in the, uh, in the Sinai Desert, in the Arabian Desert where the Jews were walking, there was no permanence of God's residence. Whenever they went left, went from place to place, the place that was where they had just left was an ordinary place, mundane. There's no holiness there. You go there today, you don't have to conduct yourself. Even if you know that your mom is standing on the place where the Mishkan stood, even if you're standing on the place where the Mishkan stood for 19 years, there was a place where the Jews camped for 19 years, and you know the exact place, there's absolutely no holiness in that place. You can go riding on a, uh, what do you call those, um, an, an, a uh, ATV, you go ATVing there. Why? There's no holiness. Absolutely no condition. But, but because there was no permanence in it. it during that time, if you, you, you went in there and you weren't supposed to, could be punished by the death penalty. But once the Shechina left, goodbye, no holiness. But in the Beis Hamikdash, it's eternal. Comes out from this that what? That if we're talking about holiness of the place, yeah, that God is the presence of Hashem in that place, that is in the Beis Hamikdash even stronger than the Mishkan. 
Here we're saying that there is a nitzchiyas, there's an eternity to the mishkan. And we're saying the Beis Migdash is to a certain degree also similar to the mishkan and it has not that strong of a nitzchiyas, not that level of eternity, but it has somewhat an eternity to the Beis Migdash. So obviously we can't be talking about the holiness of the place. We have to be talking about something else. And what are we talking talking about the actual durability of the structure. The Mishkan last, as we said before, is totally intact. It hasn't decayed, it hasn't rotten, it is 100% like the day it was made by Betzalel, by Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's the way it is hidden somewhere in the sub-cellars of the Temple Mount of the Beis Amigdash. It's hidden, the, 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 the Mishkan. And one day, maybe it will be taken. It will probably, if it's hidden there, probably will be taken out. The Mishkan for what usage? But it will. But it's here. It's 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 for all eternity. So now we're saying that the Beis Hamikdash is also eternal. But that we need to understand because the Beis Hamikdash has been destroyed. So to understand this, let's analyze another Talmudic passage. The Gemara says in Masechtas Megillah, there is a pasuk in Parshas Re'e in which the Torah is talking about um, offering karbonos, offering sacrifices on the Mizbeach. And it says what you're allowed to, you know, certain karbonos you can't bring. And it says the reason is, Kiloi vasem, because you have not arrived, at ata until now, el menucha to the resting place, the el anachla, and to the heritage. This is a pasuk in Devarim, in Deuteronomy, Perak Yud Beis, chapter 12. Pasuk Tes, verse 9. So it says over there, vasem ad ato, you did not, you haven't yet arrived, El HaMenucha, to the resting place, the El HaNachla, and to the um, inheritance. So the Gemara says, what does it mean, El HaMenucha, the El HaNachla? What are these two things, the resting place and the Nachla? So these, this Gemara is to be found in two places, in Mesechtas Megillah and Daf Yud, and also in Mesechtas Zvachim, in Masech Tezvachim, Daf Kuf Yotes, 119, Ahmed Aleph, you can look it up. Now, the Gemara Masech Tezvachim brings four opinions of what it means, what this verse means. Menucha El Nach. One opinion is that Menucha, the resting place, is referring to the more permanent tent, which was the tent at Shiloh. Shiloh, as we said before, was like a semi, it was like a semi-based Hamikdash. It was not yet a temple, but it wasn't a tent. It was in between, it was a blend of both. That's called a resting place. And because there was kind of, uh, the Jews got to rest, God's, the Shekhinah got to rest there for a long time. It stood for 369 years. Versus the temple, in one place, versus the mobile home, the Mishkan, kept on moving around, sometimes only for its day, it was put up for a day, a week, a month, even for 19 years, 19 years is not that long. But this stood for 369 years, it's called El HaMenucha, to the rest. Then, El HaNachla, what does Nachla mean? So Nachla means Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is the inheritance, the ultimate, eternal inheritance of God in this world, of the, of the, of the, of the Jewish people. That's the meaning of El Hanachl. That's one opinion. Then there is another opinion in the Gemara. 
The Gemara says the opposite. I think it's Reb Shimon. says the opposite. That El HaMenucha is referring to Yerushalayim. Because in regards to Yerushalayim, we brought before a Pasuk. In regards to Jerusalem, we brought a Pasuk. Zois Menuchasi. Menuchasi. This is my Menucha. Adeyat. So you see, Yerushalayim is called Menucha. And Shiloh is called Nachla. The inheritance. That's a second opinion. A third opinion is, both of them, Menucha and Nachla, both these words, are describing Shiloh. A fourth opinion, both these words, Menucha and Nachla, are referring to Yerushalayim. And the Gemara works its way through in Mesech Tzvachim, and Tractate Zvachim about all these opinions. Now, um, the uh, however, the In Mesechtas Megillah, the Gemara avoids the argument, and the Gemara is only following one opinion, that Menucha is Shiloh, and Nachla is Yerushalayim. Menucha, resting place, is Shiloh, and Nachla is Jerusalem, right? That's, and so it is in Rashi, in the Chumash, and so it is in a, the Mishnah. It seems to be that that is the conclusion. In other words, even though there's been an argument, but the Gemara seems that this is the the more the most um, uh, accurate description of the pasuk or or uh, um, explanation of the pasuk is menucha is shiloi and nachla is yerushalayim. Now, understanding the difference between them, why is one called menucha and why is the other one called nachla? So, just at again at a superficial and or more uh, simple translation, is you say, what's the idea? Menucha and nachla are both two phase, phases from the same idea. Nachla means permanent, right? An inheritance, permanent. Menucha is almost permanent. It's like a place that you can say, I've already rested. I've come to rest. That means that you stay in a place of a long of enough time, it's called, you know, you're not, uh, you're not uh, on, on the go, on the move. Um, the, you know, if, you're, if, if every second day you're moving from place to place, you're moving from here, you're going to there, and that restless situation, you know, you can't call that, that's, that's being restless, you're not, you're not menuch. If you come to a place, and you live in a city for 10 years, you live somewhere for whatever, a serious period of time, even just for 5 years, you know, that's already a menucha, it's a rest, I mean, of course everything is relative. In this case, as we said earlier, the Mishkan Shiloh was a place where the Jewish, where the, where the Shechina resided for 369 years, and that's pretty much a menucha, that's a rest. However, it, at the end, uh, it, uh, the, the Shechina moved away. It, did not, it was not permanent. So therefore, it can't call it Nachla. What's Nachla? Nachla is final home. This is my dream home. This is my ultimate home. I finally decided I was able to buy a house. I was able to build a home. And here is where I plan on living the rest of my life. Not only that, I hope that my children will take over my estate. And then my grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that's the idea of a nachla, permanence. So in a sense then, menucha and nachla is the same thing. Menucha would be kind of, if you can say, if this makes sense, semi-permanence. Semi, semi and nachla is permanent-permanent. That would be the, the meaning. However, it's a little difficult to say so. Because since we see that there are opinions, as we mentioned earlier, that reverse and say that Yerushalayim is called menucha, and Shiloh is called Nachla. That wouldn't make any sense at all if we're going to define Menucha as almost permanent and, you, and Nachla 
permanent, permanent, because definitely, according to all opinions, Jerusalem is the eternal capital of God and the ultimate eternal home for Hashem. So if we're going to say that Menuchem by means an almost permanence, so therefore we have to say that Menucha and Nachla are not two phases of one thing, but rather they represent two different qualities. Both of them, of course, related to a permanent residence, but two qualities in, the, in that permanent, in that peaceful, tranquil, settled state. There's two levels, or not just two levels, but two, two qualities in settling down. Two different types of settling down, if we might say. Each one is repre- each name is referring to another aspect of this settling down. What's the difference? See, menucha, let's just look at the word. Menucha is referring the condition of the person living in the home. You don't say, this is my menucha. <laughs> I am b'menucha. I mean, I am resting. When a person is living in a comfortable environment, and there isn't turmoil, and there isn't, they're not being uprooted every say second day. They're not on the go, or on the move, or on the run. And they're in, they're in one place. Oh, so that's called menuch. I am peaceful. I am at rest. I'm comfortable. Um, nachla is more a description about the place itself. It's more of an objective term. The house. This is my entire. This is my estate. This place is a nachla. It's not, it's not, it's not describing the person's comfort level in that place. It just is. This is the place that belongs to me. Menucha is how the place relates to me, how I'm interacting. Am I menucha here or am I not resting? Okay? So now, what the, now the factors that determine that something should be menucha and that something should be nachla, since these are two characterizations, two different ideas, that which will, the, the, the requirements for menucha is different than the requirements for Nachla. What's the difference? The requirements for Menucha is mainly comfort, right? So in order for you to be comfortable somewhere, what do you need? So first of all, the, 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 the structure where you're living has to be a comfortable structure, right? And secondly, it has also to do with the furnishings. The furnishings are matching. See, when a person is on the road, if you're staying in a hotel, or unless you're staying in the president suite of the Ritz-Carlton. But generally, if you're staying in, in an hotel, you're uh, kind of not so comfortable. Why? Because, you know, at your, in your home, you obviously, if you're, if, you know, you, if you're, I mean, obviously, if a person can afford it, then you, you're living in a space that suits your needs, that suits the type of person you are, what you need. And everybody's different. And what are the things that are important to them, what they need in their home? Some people need a very, 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 very big kitchen, and others don't cook, so they don't need a kitchen, they just need a, uh, you know, they, they like a very, 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 very fancy schmancy bathroom, or other things, right? and that's one, right? But in addition to that, you need, you know, when you're in hotels mentioned, or when you're in a, you're, you're, you're staying uh, as a guest in someone's house, so you're lacking in that comfort, why? Because you don't have exactly the coffee machine that you like, or the or the pillow or two pillows that you need, or the or the mattress is you know you have your mattress you know exactly what the type of firmness or softness of the mattress. So these are all things that make a person comfortable. 
And that comfort creates the tranquility and the peacefulness, which is usually in a permanent residence. If I'm just living in a place, like just for a week or two, I'm not that picky. But if I'm going to settle into a place for a year, for two years, so I'm going to make sure it fits my needs. So what you have over here is menucha, is related more to the structure, to the house itself, and to the furnishings. And in some degree, the furnishings might even be more important than the structural house itself. But one thing is for sure that the real estate is not that important at all. The actual ownership of the house. And because a person can be in a menuchadik estate in a rented apartment as well. If you're taking out an apartment to live there for a, a, a long period of time, so you can be, you make yourself comfortable. You get an apartment that, you know, you might get a, a, a beautiful apartment, a, a very comfortable apartment, even though it's not your nachla, it's not your inheritance. What does nachla mean? Nachla means this is mine. This is my place. This is this, which is more of a related to an actual piece of land that belongs to you. And when we say belongs to you, meaning again, you're planning. It's not like you're. It's uh, it's uh, what, what do they call this uh, when you when people buy buy homes uh, and it's uh, just. Uh, uh, I forgot I forgot the term that they use. You always hear the radio, the ads on the radio, where it's uh, fl- flipping homes. Where you're not buying something to flip just for to for making money. Well, you're talking about a home that either a person, you know, saved up and worked hard in order to finally they'll be able to buy their home, or they got this as an inheritance from their parents, from their great grandparents, and this is going to be passed on as the family residence. That's the idea of a nachal. So on Anachla, interesting, when you're looking, when you're analyzing the requirements of Anachla, is that the place is yours. The structure, if the house is run down, it can still be your Anachla. You don't even have to live in your Anachla, technically. You know, a person can be living in a, in a Menucha, meaning in, a, in, a, in an apartment, which suits their needs and they're comfortable, and they have their Anachla. But ultimately their dream is that one day I'm going to fix up that, that, uh, those runes, I'm going to rebuild, I'm going to restructure, because I really want to live in my nachla, the place that's really mine. That's the idea of a nachla. So the nachla definitely doesn't require furniture and the furnishings. In the, in the, for requirement of something to be a nachla, it's irrelevant what kind of furniture is it. Furniture can be totally broken, the place can be totally in disarray, it can be a destruction. Even the edifice itself can be in a state of destruction. But it's still an akhla, because this is my place. This is my real estate. I own the land. I pay the real estate tax. It's mine. And, 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 and again, every person I mean, w- w- would love, of course, that the nachla should also be their menucha. Okay? But these are two different aspects. And now we'll understand why Shiloh was called menucha, and why Yerushalayim is called nachla. Because in Shiloh, as we said before, the Shiloh was the ultimate state of the Mishkan. The Mishkan came to its rest. Now, the Mishkan was neither. Think about the Mishkan. It wasn't Menucha and it wasn't Nachla. It wasn't Nachla because, again, as we said before, there was no real estate involved. The Mishkan was moving from place to place. So it definitely cannot be qualified as Nachla. But it can't either be qualified as Menucha because we were always on the run. It was a mobile home. You didn't, you know, one night here, the next night over there. So therefore the, the Mishkan, but when the Mishkan came kind of to a settled place, then the Mishkan is called Menucha 
Because in regards to the structure and in regards to the furnishings, there is, there is, as we said earlier, the Mishkan is eternal, lasted forever. It never got destroyed. So it, when it came to a menucha, it was the most comfortable, it was this a, a place of settlement. And in regards to those things that is, are necessary in, to, to, make a menu, to, make, to create a menucha setting, the mishkan is the, mo, is, is the most menucha dig in the sense that its furnishings are eternal. So if something is not eternal, then you can't really call it menucha. But the idea is that we're not talking about the foundation of it. It's essence, it's real estate element. We're talking about, so even though the Mishkan, in the end, Hashem discontinued, and He said, okay, I'm not going to reside in Mishkan, I'm going on to move somewhere else, but in terms of the Mishkan itself, in terms of the structure, its strongs of its kalim, it never got destroyed. It was hidden in the ground. So this is the, the, the menucha. However, when it comes to Jerusalem, and in the temples of Yerushalayim, there we don't have a menucha state because the actual base Migdash lay in ruins. It was burned to a crisp. It lay in burning embers and destroyed till down to the ash. And then as we said before, even its foundation was, 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 was plowed. But the real estate is our real estate. And the real estate is ours forever. So the actual place, what is the, the, the nachla, what is the inheritance, the for everlasting inheritance of the Jewish people, that's the Nachla, that's the Beis Amingdash, that's Yerushalayim. And that's why that's called Nachla and not Menucha. Because you don't have necessarily the comforts. It's not comfortable, Yerushalayim, the Temple Mount right now. We have unwanted residents that are living over there, right, without permission. So we're very uncomfortable over there. It's not at all, and they're not giving us any rest, that's for sure. But yet, it's still our real estate. It's still ours that, right, that they're encroaching on. So it's Nachla, but it's not Menuch. Now let's get a little deeper in understanding why this is. Why is it that in the Mishkan, you had the Menucha element because the actual structure is an eternal structure. But there's no eternity in the space. On the other hand, in the Beis Hamikdash, there is eternity in the space, but there isn't, at least for the first, in regards to the first two Beis Hamikdash, at least it doesn't seem like there's eternity in the in the in the actual structure. And the reason is, and the idea is as follows: that um, you see, only God is eternal. Anything of the creation is temporary, because the creation is finite. And everything that's finite has a expiration date. All finite entity must expire. Only God, who is infinite, doesn't expire. And therefore, when Hashem creates something, Hashem can make something when He imbues it with Him with His power. That's when it can be eternal. Something that's created by a human being will dissolve, will come apart, will eventually decay. That's the way it is. And therefore, the reason is, that's why when we, let's take a look at the Beis HaMikdash, the reason why the first Beis HaMikdash and the second Beis HaMikdash, 
weren't, didn't have the durability. And they lasted only the first Beis HaMikdash for 410 years. And the second Beis HaMikdash for 420 years. And that it was because they were structured, they were created by human beings. And so it's stated explicitly in the Zohar. In two places in the Zohar. One Zohar is in Parshas Bereshis. The Zohar says like this. It's talking about the quality of the third Beis HaMikdash. It says, Valah Itmar, and about the third base summing the shit says, Vani Eyalah, and I will be to her, the Um Hashem, so it says, God, Chaymas Eish, a fiery wall around. It's talking about the future base summing the that Hashem is going to protect it with a fiery wall. Will begin done because of this. Betured done this mountain, Yizbene Beim Magdisha. The base summing will be built on the Temple Mount. Al the Kuchibirichu through the hands of God Almighty Himself. Kaiman, it's gonna be sustained. Ledarin for all eternity, for all generations. Valai Itmer on the this base something that it says, Godol Yeah that the glory of this house, which is referring to the third base Amingdash, is going to be greater than the first. The Kadmoi, hear these words. The Kadmoi is Bnei Al Yedad the Bernash, because the first ones were built through human beings. The High Al Yedai the Kutcha Berichu, and this is going to be built by God. Will begin Don because of this. This is what it says in Tehillim: Im Hashem Lo Yivne Ba'ish Shlom Amelch Sedes. If God doesn't build the house, Shav Amlu Boy Nav Boy. It is to waste that we've toiled on it if God is not going to build it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be wasted in the end. It's not going to last forever. So says Desire and Beratius. Daf Chaf something. Ches, I think. And here's another passage of the Zohar. This one is in Parshas Pinchas. But the Zohar over here has a more elaborate discussion about this. That the first and the second base of English are called Binyane de Barnash. They're a structure of a human being. And it's interesting, it says over here in the Zoyar in Parshas Pinchas, that initially when God, the Chadnafki Yisrael Mitzrayim, when Yidin went out of Mitzrayim, Hashem initially intended to put them in the land, like holy angels above, and He wanted to build for them a Beis HaMikdash, that He Himself would build it, and to come down from the heavens, to plant the Jewish people in, in over there. No, He wanted to build the Beis HaMikdash and bring down the Beis HaMikdash from heaven. And to plant the Jewish people over there, similar to above. And this is what it means to bring them and plant them in your holy mountain. In which place, in the house that you Hashem has made, which is the first base of Mingdash, that you God made, the Pa'alta Anta Hashem, that Hashem built it. That was the initial plan, plan A. The, the place, the seat for you that you God have made, that's the first base of Mingdash. Mingdash Hashem Konon Yadach, the base of Mingdash that God, your hands established, that's the second base of Mingdash. Meaning the first and second structure as they are from God, as Hashem initially intended them, that He would build them. It's interesting that it mentions too, I mean, if Hashem is building and it doesn't get destroyed, so how will you ever get to a second one? But maybe we would have two. One, one corresponding to Avram, one corresponding to Yitzchak. I'm not exactly sure what this means. How could if if Hashem is building it, so why would it mean he would build or maybe both of them would be wrapped into one? I'm not sure. But in any case, 
And both of them would have been a handicraft of the handiwork of Hashem. But since the Jewish people angered God in the Midbar, and Hashem didn't bring them, He brought their children into the land. And the house was built by humans. And that's why it did not last. And Shlomo HaMelech knew this. And that's why he said, The Holeiz Bay Kiyuma does not have a sustain. Doesn't have sustainability. And then it says, all Zimna the Asi, but in the future it says, Boyne Yerushalayim Hashem, that God is going to build up Jerusalem. He is going to build it and no one else. And that's the one that we're, built, uh, we're waiting for. Not for a structure of humans. The Lazbe Kiyuma cloud that doesn't have a key. So clearly the Zohar is telling us that the reason why the first and second Beis Amigdash did not last was because of, it was a building of a structure of a human. Fine. That's in regards to the structure. But in regards to the actual real estate property, first of all, it's created by Hashem. Okay, but Hashem created the rest of the world. But this, that the Beis Amigdash is holy space, and that the Shekhinah dwells there that's not was never created by humans. It was the place that God chose. The Beis Amidosh is called Beis Abchira, Hashem that Hashem has chosen. It's Hashem's choice that made it holy. Since it's a choice, the real estate, that this is God's choice, real estate. This is what He wants. And Hashem is eternal. That's why the Beis Amigdash is eternal forever. Like the Rambam says, Kedushas Yerushalayim, Kedushas Beis Amigdash Mepnei Shechina is because of the Shechina. Shechina ain't betela. The Shechina never stops. The Shechina is never nullified. The Shechina lasts forever. That's why it's lasting. It's permanent. The 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 the, the building the the. Um, so it's not, it wasn't like we came and we built the temple and then God decided that I'm going to come rest there. It was the opposite. Hashem chose the place. And we built the Beis Amigdash to facilitate that choice that Hashem can come live there. But it wasn't. Now, when it comes, however, to the Mishkan, over there, it's vice versa. In the Mishkan, it's not that God chose a place, because there was no place. Again, it's the Arabian desert. There was no place over there that was chosen by Hashem. It wasn't. What, what then caused the Mishkan to become holy? The opposite. We built a Mishkan, and Hashem came to dwell in it. It says, mikdash. You built for me a Mikdash, and because you're building it, I'm going to live in it. So therefore, there is no... Poi shave here I sit ki'ivisiya because I because I have chosen it, because I've desired it. There's no bemakhaim ashayif harashem alaikh. There is a base, it was a Mishkan that was built. Okay, so there's no eternity in the real estate. In the, however, why is there eternity in the structure? And the answer is as it says the Gemara we quoted before, Masechta Saita, who was the one who built the Beis Migdash, Moshe Rabbeinu built the Beis Migdash. And Moshe Rabbeinu's hands is God's hands. Why is Moshe's hands Hashem's hands? Because Moshe Rabbeinu is called Moshe Avdi. He's called Moshe, my servant. And the rule is about a servant, a true servant. 
A servant is identityless. A servant's being is an extension of the master. Yad Evet ki Yad Raboy. The hand of a servant is like the hand of his master. And the Rajba takes this in Masechtas Kedushin so far. It says that Kolma, we, the Gemara, we know the rule that Kolma Shekana Evet, that whatever an Evet acquires, Kana Raboy is his master acquires. So the Rajba says it's not like the Evet acquires it first and then the master gets it from the Evet. He says, from the very onset, when the servant, when the Eved, when the slave, when the servant stretches his hand to pick it up, it's the master's hand that's picking it up. Because the Eved, his entire identity, his bottle is nullified to the master. So his body is his master. He's like an extension. So from the very onset, he's acquiring for the master, not for himself. Because he has no self. Moshe Rabbeinu was that perfect servant. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu is the person is the perfect conduit for God. So when Moshe does something, it's Hashem doing it, so it doesn't have the weakness of a human being because there is a total transparency. God is coming through Moshe, so it's eternal. That's actually also an added explanation of why the Mishkan is an added explanation of why the base. I'm sorry, going back to the Beis HaMikdash, the Beis Hamikdash, even though we said before the building, the structure came down because it was built by humans, but the real estate was chosen by Hashem. But even that too, we know that um, when for Shlomo Melech, when he wanted to build the Beis Hamikdash, he couldn't bring it says the Aron into the Beis Hamikdash. The doors weren't open. He couldn't bring the Aron in until he prayed. And he said, Bavur David Avdecha, Al Tashev For the sake of David Amelech, don't turn me back. Don't, don't uh, close the doors on us, open up for us. But for the sake of David. That means he had to evoke the merit of David. And the reason for that is because the little bit of preparation that needed to be made in the place. Again, it was God's choice. But the little bit of preparation, as we had to actually physically buy it and the like, that too had to be made by a human being who is similar to Moshe Rabbeinu. He's a human being who is a non-entity. Who else is called Eved Hashem? David HaMelech. David says, Ani Avdecha, I'm your servant. Moshe is the servant and David is the servant. Bavur David Avdecha. And that's what Shlomo Melech says. For the sake of David, and which quality? It doesn't say Bavur David Hamelech. Bavur David Avdecha. Because in order for a permanent, something permanent in the world to happen, it has to come from God. Because God is eternal. And He's permanent. And when a human being is involved, the human being has to be a human being who is completely transparent to Hashem. So you have Moshe Rabbeinu and you have David HaMelech. So Moshe Rabbeinu's permanence ensured that the physical structure of the of the Mishkan would be permanent. David HaMelech's transparency and bittel and nullification and his being a servant assured that the, that the place, which David HaMelech was the one who organized the purchase of the place, that that place, the Makam, Yerushalayim, was established and that the choice of God can come through it and that's why it's eternal. Now we'll also understand perhaps why Yerushalayim is also called Menuch, even though we're learning until now that Shiloh, which is the resting place of the Mishkan, which Moshe Rabbeinu made, that's called Menuch. 
And Yerushalayim, which has the real estate quality, is called Nachla, inheritance. However, we brought, we brought earlier from the Rambam that the Rambam brings the Pasuk, Zeus Menuchasi Adei Ad, in regards to Yerushalayim. That means that even though Yerushalayim is primarily called Nachla, inheritance, it is also called Menuch. How can Yerushalayim also be called Menucha when the actual structure, as we said before, Menucha has to do with the comfort that comes from a house and furnishings. And the house and furnishings are not eternal in Yerushalayim, at least not home. So why would it be called Menucha? And the answer is, since Yerushalayim is also going to be the home for the third Beis HaMikdash, the third Beis HaMikdash is going to possess both qualities. It's going to have the quality, it's in the base of Migdash, we're not finding some new home, we're building the home, an hour real estate, an hour the God's chosen peace in this world that belongs to Him, that's where the base of Migdash is being built, number one. Number two, the furnishings and the actual structure itself is going to also be built by Hashem. We said before from the Zohar that it's going to be built from Hashem and therefore it's going to last forever. Hashem, the Zohar says, lays down Barnash. It's going to be built by God Himself. And even though the Rambam seems to say that Mashiach is going to build it, so there's a discussion about that to reconcile. Whether Mashiach builds the base of Hashem, maybe it's connected to what we said before. When Mashiach builds it, since he's nullified, it's like Hashem is building it. But in addition to that, it says that whatever, how we're going to re- reconcile that idea. Because it's an argument if the base of English, the third base of English, comes down from heaven, or if we build it from below, we discussed it in another, in another shit. But the idea over here is that Yerushalayim possesses both, in, in its ultimate structure, possesses both qualities. However, the question, however, is that we refer to Yerushalayim already as Menucha, not only in the time of the third base of Mignosh, but the Rambam brings this Pasik Zeus Menuchasi Adei Ad, that this is my Menucha forever, already in regards to Yerushalayim, not just in the future. But he says it, he brings it to support the idea that once Yerushalayim was chosen, you're not allowed to ever build the base of English anywhere else. And that's referring to Yerushalayim when Shlomo Melech built the first base of English. And he's already calling it, and he brings the Pasik Menuch. If we're saying that the Menucha element is only going to be in the third base of English, how does that work? So here is where we're going to bring it back to what we spoke about in the beginning. You have to say that the first base of English and second base of English also have an element of eternity to them, even though they were destroyed. How does that work? The Gemara says, in Mesechtis Erevin, the Gemara is talking about um, the, uh, the, the um, place where the Jewish people were in the Midbar, that the camping, that the Jewish people, the camp, the Jewish camp in the Midbar, the Gemara says, in regards to certain halacha, it's called a place, a kavua, a place where people are settled in a permanent way. So the Gemara asked the question, but what do you mean? There was no permanence over there. No one had homes. They all had tents. And they were always on the move at the drop of the hat. In this case, at the rising of the cloud. At any given moment, they had to be ready. The trumpets would sound. They were never given forewarning too much earlier. They were just, the trumpets blew and they were ready to leave. So in what sense is it called a kvius? So the Gemara says, since it says, al pi Hashem yachnu, al pi Hashem since when they camped in a certain place, it wasn't because they decided, oh, it looks so beautiful over here, why shouldn't, let's, let's camp over here. It was by the mouth of God. When God tells you to do something, even if you are doing it just for a minute, the very fact that you're doing it because God commanded and God is eternal, it's as if in that short, it's 
in that that minute contains eternity, which is of course a something that we can't wrap our minds around. That on the one hand, it's only a minute, and in other words, like they stayed in the place only for a day. Yet the place that they stayed during that day, they were there for all eternity. It would be actually interesting if psychologically, again, I, if the Gemara actually means if there was that there was there, was, there really wasn't any anxiousness. Because wherever they were, they were there for all eternity. Because when Hashem puts you somewhere, it's Alpi Hashem, and Hashem is eternal. So when He puts you somewhere, it's eternal. So again, I don't know if psychologically in their experience it wasn't, it would be a chiddush to say so, I didn't see this anywhere. But at least the Gemara says, and conceptually, that because it was Alpi Hashem, the place that they stayed, whether even it was a short period of time, God told them to rest over there, and God's is eternal, so therefore their resting is also called eternal. So the same will be applied to the first and second Beis Since Hashem did not call them anymore Ohel, the Pasuk says in Shmuel, in, I'm sorry, in, yeah, in Shmuel, the Pasuk says that I've been walking in a tent until now. And until the Beis, that even Shiloh was called a tent. But the Beis Amigdash is going to be a bias. Since Hashem calls it a bias, and a bias means permanence, so even though, since it was built, due to the fact that it was built by humans, the actual structure, it did not last, but there is an Indian of Nitzchius in the first, Nitzchius eternity in the first and second base of English as well. Again, technically, what does that mean? I mean, if it was physically destroyed. Don't have an explanation for that. But there is an eternity in the first and second base of English because Hashem calls it bias. But the real, real, real eternity in the actual structure itself was only in the Mishkan. I mean, in a very, in a very, in a very physical way. Okay, again, in in halachic term, in concept, first and second base. I mean, as we said before, are called a mashkin. They too exist on. They haven't been destroyed. And again, as we mentioned, they, the Zohar seems to be saying they'll come back as well, in some in some way. But at least in its physical structure, it was destroyed. But the Mishkan is intact forever. And the Beis Amigdash is intact. These two. And both of them share a common denominator that want that both the Mishkan, because both of them are structured by Hashem. The Mishkan was structured by Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu is the hands of Hashem. The Beis Amigdash is going to be built directly by God. And that's why it's going to last forever. The third Beis Amigdash. But both of them share one common thing, is going back to the Sephora that I mentioned at the beginning, that they both share the common idea that they are both had a Aron. They both have you see the first base of Mingdash had the Aron with the Luchos, with the tablets, only for I mean most of its time for four hundred and I'm sorry, for three hundred and eighty years. But for thirty years, or maybe we said thirty years before the destruction it was hidden. The second base of English, there wasn't any ark at all. But in the so when was there an ark? When the ark was there during the Mishkan season, and the ark is also going to be after Mashiach comes. So we see that for some reason the ark, the the luchos, the Torah, the luchos edos, the aron, that's what gives the permanence to the base of English. So what is, what, and dafka the physical element, because in the spiritual, we said, even the first and second base of are also spiritually intact. 
But the physical, so what's the connection? The dafka the Oron gives the, physic, the physical eternity to Beis HaMingdash. So here there's a very rich idea. I'm going to have to say it, it's late, so we're going to be very, very brief. We know, and I spoke about this earlier this year when we spoke about the Batei Migdash, that obviously just like there is a Beis HaMikdash in the world, there's a Beis HaMikdash in each and every single one of us. And there was a shir that I gave in the summer uh, about the, um, I forgot what it was called, uh, oh, it was called Temple Template, where we spoke about all the uh, different chilakim, uh, that there are mainly three diurim, three chambers in the Beis HaMikdash. There is the courtyard, there is the heichal, the kodesh, and then there is the Kodesh HaKadosh. These are the three main structures. So in the internal Beis HaMikdash that we have within, within ourselves, there is also three parts. There is the courtyard, which is the outer human being, where you have the altar, where all the karbanos are done. And what does that mean? The outer human being means our external heart. In Kabbalah and Hasidus, it's called the Chitzoni Yisalev, the external part of our heart. I'll explain it in a, mo- in a moment. Then there is the Heichal, where there was the Mizbeach HaPnimi, the internal Mizbeach. And the Zohar, that's ref- the Zohar corresponds that to Pnimi Yisalev, the inner part of the heart. And then there is the Kodesh HaKadosh. The Kodesh HaKadoshim is in the Pnimi Yisalev, in the inner part of the heart. It's the most inner, inner, inner point, the quintessential point of the innermost of the heart. What's the difference between the external heart and the internal heart first? External heart means the base. Obviously, we're talking about a holy heart. We're talking about a mezbeach. A mezbeach is burning up for God. There's a fire for God. A Jew's heart is ablaze with a love, with excitement, with fervor, with inspiration, with a desire to serve Hashem. But an external desire means it comes from externalities. It's coming from the outside. It's coming from a certain recognition in Hashem's greatness, and Hashem's beauty, and Hashem's goodness, and Hashem's kindness. It's not essential. There is a reason, there is a cause. There is something that's bringing me to love Hashem. There is something that's causing me to connect to God. That's called external. Panimia Salev means that I disc- it's a dimension, it's a deeper dimension of a soul. When we say the innermost of the heart, we mean in a deeper dimension of the soul that's manifesting in a more inner part in our heart. What is that? The Nisham is loving Hashem not because of a reason. The Nisham is loving God just because. Because the neshama is a, is, is, is a child of Hashem. It's a piece of God. So it yearns. It's, it's, it's of divinity. So it longs for God just naturally. It's called Ava Mesuteris, the concealed love. Ava Tivis, the natural love that every Jew has to the Abishta. But then there's even deeper than that. The Kodesh HaKadoshim. The Kodesh HaKadoshim is the Yechidosh HaBenefesh. The Yechidosh HaBenefesh is the deepest point of the soul, where the soul is not even desiring and burning to be unified with God. It just is inseparable. It is connected with such a bond that from here, that's where Mesiris Nefesh comes from. Not just a maddening desire to connect, but a Mesiris Nefesh, I'm willing to give everything away. I can never be severed from Hashem. The deepest, innermost point of the heart of the Yid. That's the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and that's your Aron. That's your Nekuda Pnimius of connection to the Abishter. So the Zohar says a fascinating Zohar, and for just itself, just for this Zohar itself, it's worth the entire class. The Zohar says in Pashas Mishpatim, Pasig Rebchia, Va'amar Rebchia says, Simeni Kachoisem Alibecha. Put me like a, a signet on your heart. 
like a signet, like a on your on your on like a stamp on your arm, the goimer. When the Jewish people cleave to God, she says, We say to Hashem, Make me like a signet. What does that mean? The style, it is the way of, a, of, of, of an engraving. Of a chaysam. A chaysam is a signet, what you engrave. Even when you, pl- you put a signature, you, you seal a seal. Even the isdabik, when you seal with the seal. And you connect it to the place that you're connecting it. Shavik bei kol yukna. The entire form of the seal is sealed into that which you're planting the seal. If you're planting it on a parchment, on a paper, whatever it is, you're delivering your entire form of what is here is being imprinted onto that. But then, the chaysam itself, the, the, the seal itself, you can take away. The seal is not staying there. The imprint of the seal remains in the place that you're imprinting it, even though the seal goes, this, goes away. Even though the seal goes over here and goes over there, it doesn't remain over there. It never, but still, it remains there forever. It's etched. So the same called the Yukneshavik Taman, its entire form, it leaves over there, the Taman Kaim, and it remains over there. If Hachi Amris Knesset Yisrael, Knesset Yisrael says to Hashem, Kivan this Dabkanabach, we've connected to you by the giving of the Torah, we've connected to you in the deepest way, called the Yukni Levachakikbach, we've put our essence, we've attached it to you, the Afagav, the Ezel Hacha, even though me, I'm all over the place, I'm being blown around by all the winds that are slapping me around, here I'm distracted by this, here I'm being grabbed by that, here I'm being pulled this way, and that's why we're being whipped around, we're being thrown around like a, like a leaf in a storm over here and over here, but you should know that even though I'm not with you all the time, my mind, my consciousness, my thoughts are not with you, my diyukne, which means my essence, my essence of my soul is etched in you, remember me, know that in the deepest essence of my soul, I'm always attached to you. And that's the idea of the essence of the neshama is connected. That is, that is the idea of our Kodesh HaKadosh. That's our Aram. It's a place of always connected. That's why, and that's eternal. That is forever and ever. So where there is an Aram, where there is an Aram, where there is... Now, but the only thing is, that in the first base of English and in the second base of English, this Yechida, this deepest dimension of a Jew's attachment to God, was not always visible. It wasn't destroyed. The Aaron was always there, but it was hidden. It's possible that a person is not in touch. As we said before, from the, from the Zohar, you can go this way and that way, because you're not conscious, you're not connecting that. But you know, in the innermost, it's there. So it's hidden. The difference, but in the time of the first base of Mikdash, and in the time of Mashiach, we're going to operate on that level. The Yechidosh HaBenefesh is going to be visible. It's going to be in an operation state. It's going to be in a manifest state. It's going to be out in part of our service. It's going to be in our visible Beis HaMikdash. When we have that connection, visible and present, there is not Shaykh any destruction. And it's interesting that just, just enough, uh, the, 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 this Yechidosh, this Mesiris Nefesh, this deepest part of the soul, expresses itself, Dafka, more in practical observance 
than in the deeper, inner, more elements of a person's life. It was in the simple mitzvah of a simple Jew, in the simple action, the simple activity, re- reveals itself the deepest. It's a, it's a mysterious, deep concept, which I don't have time to elaborate on today. But dafka, the innermost, deepest yechida, expresses itself in the most external behavior of observance. And that's why dafka, the mishkan, and the third base amigdash, which the Jewish people will then were and will then be in touch with their yechidosh abenafesh, with their deepest element of their soul in a visible way, will assure that the physical structure will last forever. Because the physical, the eternal on the physical level is related to the deepest point. May we merit to see the structure, the, the, the bringing the full uh, presence of the third base of Mikdash on in the uh, to our eyes, Vainenu Siren, our eyes should get to see Malchusecha, your kingdom, and the ultimate restoration, and we should all come back home to our eternal home.